Hello, everyone, and welcome to the June 7th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folson, attorney with the Floyd Scarron Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. A California Court of Appeal in a Lyft employee classification suit favored state over federal law in deciding the case. In this case, Million Sifu worked as a driver for Lyft Incorporated. In 2018, he filed a complaint against Lyft alleging a single Private Attorney General Act claim, that's a PAGA claim, on behalf of the state of California and other similarly situated individuals who worked as drivers for Lyft in California. He alleged that Lyft misclassified him and other drivers as independent contractors rather than employees, thereby violating multiple provisions of the labor code. Lyft petitions to compel arbitration of Seifu's claim and stayed proceedings in the trial court pending arbitration. Lyft asserted that the waiver in Seifu's arbitration agreement was enforceable under the 2018 United States Supreme Court opinion in Epic Systems Corporation v. Lewis. But the trial court denied Lyft's motion and the Court of Appeal affirmed the trial court and held that the Lyft arbitration agreement was unenforceable in the unpublished case of Seifu v. Lyft. The Epic Systems Corporation v. Lewis case was one of three cases consolidated by the United States Supreme Court in 2017. The Epic case affirmed the Federal Arbitration Act's preemptive effect over private employment arbitration agreements, prohibiting class and collective actions. However, in 2014, the California Supreme Court in Iskanian v. CLS Transportation Los Angeles held that an employee's right to bring a a public attorney general action is unwaivable and that where an employment agreement compels the waiver of representative claims under the Public Attorney General Act, it is contrary to public policy and unenforceable as a matter of state law. Numerous California courts of appeal have rejected the contention that the Iskanian case is no longer good law in the wake of the Supreme Court's holding in Epic. On federal questions, Intermediate appellate courts in California must follow the decisions of the California Supreme Court unless the United States Supreme Court has decided the same question differently. In this case, the Court of Appeal agreed with the reasoning of the line of state cases and concluded that Lyft's argument regarding the PAGA waivers enforceability was without merit. And the WCAB, in a new panel decision, allowed a new QME to review a retired QME's medical report. In this case, Diana Barrett claimed injury to her psyche, hypertension, and gastrointestinal system while employed as an animal services manager by the city of Yuba City. The employer denied her claim in its entirety. Helena Taylor, Ph.D., was the original psychological QME and issued a medical legal evaluation report. But 
After that report, Dr. Taylor retired and is no longer a QME, so a replacement QME was appointed, a Dr. Poston. The employer objected to sending Dr. Taylor's report to the new QME, and the work comp judge agreed that Dr. Taylor's report was not to be forwarded to Dr. Poston. But this order was reversed in the panel decision of Barrett versus City of Yuba City. An adequate history and examination by the current QME should include review of the previous QME's report in the absence of a basis for excluding the report from the record. Dr. Taylor's report was obtained in accordance with the Labor Code, and she was replaced as a QME only because she retired. The record does not indicate a basis to preclude review of her report by the currently new QME. And the Labor Code permits any party to provide medical records relevant to determination of the medical issues to a QME, using language that is fairly expansive in what medical records may be provided to the QME. The panel concluded by saying that Dr. Taylor's report is consequently relevant to determination of the medical issues in dispute and may be provided to the current QME for his review. And now our crime report. A California attorney is facing felony charges for an alleged marketing scheme involving the well-known Jacoby and Myers law firm. The 26-count criminal complaint filed by Orange County prosecutors alleges that 45-year-old Stephen Omid Mayer used an illegal referral system to send potential clients to Jacoby and Myers and load them up with litigation costs in the process. His website claims his firm was awarded Best Attorneys of America by Ruse Rating Service. Mayer also allegedly used the system to direct businesses to cop, direct business to copy and printing services providers he controlled, bilking unsuspected clients and workers' compensation insurance companies. The indictment accuses Mayer of purchasing usage rights from Jacoby and Myers in a referral for compensation criminal conspiracy for his attorney marketing firm, WebShark360. The URL for WebShark360.com redirects to the Mayer website. Mayer has been a licensed attorney in California since 2005. Bloomberg Law reports that he described himself as chairman of the Law Office of Jacoby and Myers California Operations in 2015 interview with an online legal industry publication. The indictment outlines a five-year conspiracy that allegedly involved Mayer and George Pershing Hobson, who is not an attorney. Prosecutors say Mayer and Hobson's arrangement violated the California Labor Code, which prohibits paid referrals in the workers' compensation and insurance industries, as did their co-ownership of an interpretation company known as National Translations Services. The indictment charges Mayer with two felony conspiracy counts for referral of clients for compensation, as well as 22 counts of insurance fraud. 
Both defendants have posted a $100,000 bond each while they await arraignment and trial. The California criminal indictment may have a similar pattern of a proposed New Jersey class action against Jacoby and Myers, in which the plaintiffs say a third-party service company extracted thousands of dollars in additional fees from their case that should have already been paid by their lawyers. According to the New Jersey suit allegations, litigation support companies are owned by an attorney, Andrew Finkelstein, who is a partner of both Jacobian Finkelstein and Kenneth Oliver, a former partner of both firms. Plaintiffs in the New Jersey case also allege that the law firm defendants improperly marked up the cost in order to make a profit. In a January 2020 ruling, U.S. District Judge John Michael Vasquez declined to throw out allegations that defendants Andrew Finkelstein and his firm Finkelstein and Partners and a company called Total Trial Solutions are alter egos of each other. According to the lengthy federal court docket, motions are pending in the case, which is not yet scheduled for trial. What remains to be seen is the evidence in the Orange County criminal case that may or may not connect the dots, showing a similar practice in California as what is alleged in the New Jersey civil case, specifically with respect to workers' compensation claims and the liens generated for services in those cases. The Labor Commissioner's Office has cited La Mina de Oro Incorporated and six other businesses nearly $1.4 million for wage theft violations, affecting 107 workers. The Norco-based businesses operated a designer fragrance distribution warehouse and numerous retail stores in Riverside and San Bernardino counties with locations in Los Angeles area and Orange County. In 2018, an investigation was opened into the retailer's operation based on a referral from the Warehouse Worker Resource Center, a nonprofit workers' rights community-based organization in Ontario, California. The investigation showed that workers at the retailer's stores were working off the clock before and after their shifts to receive merchandise from the retailer's distribution warehouse. They were also forced to work through their meal and rest break periods, particularly during peak holiday seasons. Enforcement investigations typically include a payroll audit of the previous three years to determine minimum wage, overtime, and other labor law violations, and to calculate payments owed and penalties that are due. Civil penalties collected are transferred to the state's general fund as required by law. When workers are paid less than minimum wage, they are entitled to liquidated damages that equal the amount of underpaid minimum wages plus interest. Waiting time penalties are imposed when the employer intentionally fails to pay all wages due to their employee at the time of separation. This penalty is calculated by taking the employee's daily rate of pay and multiplying it by the number of days the employee was not paid, up to a maximum of 30 days. 
49-year-old Nassim Vaknin, who lives in Encino, was arraigned on felony insurance fraud charges after an investigation revealed he allegedly underreported employee payroll by over $70 million. This was purportedly to reduce his business's premium for workers' comp insurance by over $25 million. Back in 2018, State Compensation Insurance Fund filed a suspected fraudulent claim report after a routine payroll audit for Van Nuys-based NV Construction, owned by Vanknin, identified large discrepancies. Detectives served a search warrant of NV Construction's bank records, which showed that Vatnin reported slightly more than $4 million in payroll to state fund when the actual payroll was nearly $75 million, resulting in a premium loss of over $25 million. Vaknin was arraigned in the Los Angeles Superior Court, and this case is being prosecuted by the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office. There seems to be no end in sight to EDD-related fraud prosecutions. A federal grand jury just brought a six-count indictment against 34-year-old Cecilia Aquino, who lives in Fresno, charging her with mail fraud, wire fraud, and aggravated identity theft for submitting unemployment insurance claims and applications for small business administration economic injury, and disaster loans using stolen identities. Aquino submitted unemployment benefit claims in at least seven states and at least four loan applications that contain misrepresentations. She claimed that she named individuals last worked as self-employed dancers and owned interior design businesses and that because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they lost their jobs and business revenue. Aquino used the money for gambling, rent, shopping, and other personal expenditures. The state workforce agencies that administer the unemployment insurance system, the SBA, and the United States suffered an actual loss of at least $220,000 and were subject to a potential loss of more than $350,000 because of Aquino's fraud. If convicted, Aquino faces a maximum statutory penalty of 20 years in prison and fines. And in an unrelated case, 44-year-old Deborah Chanel Holloman of West Memphis, Arkansas, pleaded guilty to committing mail fraud in connection with California state unemployment insurance benefits. This case was well before the current pandemic, and demonstrates that EDD fraud has existed for many years. From September 2012 through September 2015, Holloman and others allegedly filed over 100 fraudulent unemployment insurance claims with the California EDD, seeking nearly $900,000 in benefits using fictitious businesses. Holloman created fictitious employers with the EDD and then submitted information to EDD reporting fake employees for the businesses. Almost all of the individuals reported as employees of the companies were actually victims of identity theft. 
Holloman subsequently filed unemployment claims in her own name and in the names of fake employees in order to collect these benefits. Holloman is scheduled to be sentenced on August 19 and faces a maximum statutory penalty of about 20 years in prison and a quarter of a million dollars fine. Grand jury fraud indictments have been filed against seven defendants by the Kern County Grand Jury. These defendants allegedly stole over $330,000 in workers' compensation supplemental job displacement benefits. These were meant to help injured workers re-enter the workforce. These defendants were employees and owners of a Bakersfield vocational school. It was known as Instituto Hispano Americano, as well as employees of two local law offices. They allegedly misused supplemental job displacement benefit vouchers, which provide up to $6,000 for retraining at a post-secondary educational institution for injured workers. These defendants allegedly conspired to defraud over 20 insurance companies out of more than $330,000 in supplemental job displacement benefits. Prosecutors say they systematically sent false or misleading documentation to insurance carriers to prove the injured workers were eligible to obtain voucher money, but the students did not actually meet the minimum qualifications for the program. The defendants allegedly lied about dozens of test results for exams that were required for enrollment in the school. The investigation also found that injured workers were illegally depicted to the school by employees of local law offices who would be paid as much as $600 for each student they referred to this school. Eighty-five charges have been filed against each defendant, including conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, concealing facts affecting entitlement to insurance benefits, and offering or receiving money in exchange for referrals. All seven defendants have been arraigned and are currently awaiting trial in the Kern County Superior Court. And the Kern County District Attorney's Office is prosecuting this case and doing an excellent job. And in medical news, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the growth of nurse practitioners in the health professional field is expected to be 45% higher and physician assistants 31% higher over the next decade. These two health professionals differ in some respects. A nurse practitioner attends a nursing school while a physician assistant attends a medical school or center of medicine program. Nurses follow a patient-centered model in which they focus on disease prevention and health education. A nurse practitioner also handles assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. On the other hand, a physician assistant follow a disease-centered model in which they focus on the biological and pathological components of health while also practicing assessment, diagnosis, and treatment. Nurse practitioners can specialize in several areas, including geriatrics, mental health, pediatrics, and women's health. Physician assistants, on the other hand, undergo a more generalized education 
that can also specialize in areas like emergency medicine, orthopedics, and general surgery, areas that involve workers' compensation claims. Both have good job outlooks in California's future. The current trend in the healthcare industry is shifting to favor the employment of both of them as the number of more expensive medical doctors shrinks. By a percentage count, there were nearly 8,000 licensed physician assistants working in California, making an average salary of more than $100,000 a year. Nurse practitioners are earning roughly the same. There are currently nine college and university campuses across the state that offer accredited physician assistant degrees, with that number expected to rise with the increasing demand for physician assistants. The American Academy of Physician Assistants, known as AAPA, recently voted to change the name of their profession from physician assistant to physician associate. It was a decision several years in the making. The AAPA CEO said that the new title physician associate is to position physician assistants to successfully compete in the ever-changing healthcare marketplace by boosting the profession's relevance and impact among stakeholder groups, especially patients. The name change process officially started back in 2018, and over 100 possible new titles were considered. However, the AAPA said that physician assistants should refrain from calling themselves physician associates until legislative and regulatory changes can be made. The California Department of Consumer Affairs Physician Assistant Board, which governs them here in California, posted a similar alert on its website and warns that while the Physician Assistant Board is aware of the title change, it is inappropriate for a physician assistant to hold themselves out as physician associates unless and until legislative and regulatory changes are made to incorporate the new title. So, that is all of our news and our events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, podcasts, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd, Scarron, Manukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Please drop by again next week for more news.